Here's Stan Warren Luttrell. Greetings, everybody. It is time for Finding Hope Podcast from Rogue Retreat, and it is episode 21. I guess that means we're legal now. Episode 21, and remember, you can donate via the anchor.fm uh, portal, or you can go to Rogue Retreat or Amazon Smile Program and donate that way. But either way, you're listening to this episode and enjoy the program. Thanks for listening. everybody a victim is Terry uh, Crossman. Crossman, that's right. And we're going to talk about her story of how she found Rogue Retreat. But I have to start. I heard, oh, I have to go here. I heard that you were actually kicked out of someplace. Oh, yeah. I've been kicked out of what now is part of Rogue Retreat, Heather's Haven. Yes. Because the courts put me in there, and I wasn't, I didn't know how to stay sober, so when the girls went to a meeting, I just went across the street and got a bottle of wine and proceeded to get pretty tipsy in the living room and stash the rest up where the water heater was in the bathroom. Ah! You know, Terry, those of us that work with you and know you have such a hard time actually picturing that side of you. (laughs) I know. Everybody always says, well, you don't look like an alcoholic. I said, well, what does an alcoholic look like? That would have been my question. (laughs) They come in all walks of life. Oh, Stan's never actually seen an alcoholic. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. (laughs) Have you felt any? That's the question. Trust me. In my way, I've seen them. Oh, yeah, I've seen them. <laughs> and some people never recover. <laughs> and uh, now the question before the house is, because there is a difference, it, was it the rock gut wine that you... It, pr- no, I never liked the rock gut. I uh, was a high-class drunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have a... We have a question, but we won't... This is a family show, okay. so we won't go there. Okay. <laughs> See, we have fun with these. Okay, how were you first introduced to Rogue Retreat? How did you get to meet these fine people and become one of those fine people? Well, um, I after when I got sober, I do have to tell you one story. Okay. Okay, from 92 to 98 were the worst six years of my alcoholism. And in 92, when I got my second DUII, when the police pulled me over, uh-huh. I jumped out of the car, and and he jumped back and said, you're under arrest, and Uh-oh. I said, you can't arrest me. Uh-oh. I'm a professional alcoholic. <laughs> so I proceeded right to jail, and uh, in the courtroom, when I had to show up at court, the judge says, so Miss Crossman, we hear you, you're you a professional alcoholic. And everybody in the courtroom laughed, but it wasn't a real f- 
funny situation to me because to jail I went, of course. But anyway, I got sober in 1998, and uh, then my dad had always wanted me to go to college, so I proceeded to go to RCC and SOU, and I thought, well, I want to be a probation officer because my probation officer, her name was Terry, and she was always kind of mean. So I thought, I'm going to be a nice probation officer. <laughs> and so I worked, after I graduated SOU uh, in 2009, I um, worked in juvenile probation for a bit, but that really wasn't my thing being locked up to, and it was always freezing in there. So I happened to see the ad for a rogue retreat. And I went in and sat down with, it was just Chad and me, and maybe Heather was there too in the background. And we talked, and he says, well, come back tomorrow. I want you to meet some of the others. And I walk in, and here's Harold and his wife, Dina. And when I first got sober, the first job I ever got in telemarketing, Harold and Dina worked there. So, and then I had another telemarketing job, too, after that, and Dina and I worked together. Oh, that's funny. So, as soon as I saw Harold and Dina, I thought, I got the job. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of one of those things I could tell, well, if they think you're a fit and I think you're a fit. Mm -hmm. So I was really praying that I would get it, and I did. Yeah. And, um, and I kind of, he had explained to me what the job was being at, case manager to the women in the program in the apartments and uh, most of them are new in recovery and trying to help them along and um, it, it just was the perfect fit for me because in my past even when I was drinking I used to always seem to be able to be helping others and I couldn't quite figure out why I couldn't help myself but once I finally did, then I could, and then with this job, I could help others. So what was the catalyst to finally make, besides being arrested and going to jail and not getting a get-out-of-jail-free card, uh, what was the catalyst that made this time take when the others did not? Well, I have two beautiful children, Melissa and Danny, and um, when they were, uh, like, five, let's see, six and nine, their dad, who had them most of the time, and I had become an every other weekend parent when they were four and seven, um, he remarried, and um, a year or so later, they said I couldn't see the kids anymore because my drinking was getting so bad, and mm -hmm. I didn't blame them. Mm -hmm. So I drank myself to practically to death for a few months, and I was skin and bones and couldn't keep food down any longer, could barely keep enough alcohol sipping it down to get rid of the shakes. And I just was in, um, just one day I stood up with my drink in my hand and thought, well, maybe my kids are better off without me. And it was like I was giving up. And it was like God just screamed in my head, no, you are worth recovery. And I just put my last drink down and asked my roommate to help me get to detox. And that, and I was so sick in detox, but I was so happy. I And everybody in there looked at me like, what is she so darn happy about? <laughs> She's so sick because I was just, you know, 
they were bringing me two glasses of ice water every 20 minutes and it just would come back up. So but basically praying to the porcelain god. Yes. <laughs> First I prayed to God and then the porcelain god was <laughs> what I spent that night. Yeah, close to... It Close makes, to that. It certainly makes you grateful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you so, actually felt you were dying for people's sins. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So um, yeah. so after a detox, um, what was it like um, beginning this new pathway of life that you found? Well, I had already been in treatment twice, mm -hmm. court-ordered, well, kind of railroaded in 92 mm -hmm. by family and friends, and in 90 five the courts weren't going to let me out of jail till there was a, a bed at the ark mm -hmm. and i really thought i really wanted to stay sober when i got out of there but i guess i just wasn't done mm -hmm. and um it was i just knew i was done when i made that split second decision so mm -hmm. i put myself back in the ark after detox yeah and really listened to every word they said and did everything they told me to do and practically lived in AA meetings for a few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, did my community service at the Alano Club. I mean, I was just always in a meeting mm -hmm. and and really loving it, you know. Yeah. There's a whole community out there. Oh, yeah. Yep. So... I'm going to ask this because some people would say something different. I can imagine you don't miss what you dealt with. Oh, no. I don't miss that it had... I liked being buzzed. You know, those commercials, buzz sure. drinking is drunk... Mm -hmm. You're right. Drunk drink. Buzz driving is drunk driving. Drunk driving, yeah, yeah that's yeah, it. Yeah. I liked having a buzz, but that was kind of my normal state for so many years. Um, but now I like having a clear head and I like not having to be, not being a slave to the bottle, meaning sure. I can't function without it or I'm going to be sick. That's right. just no fun. Everywhere you go, you got to make sure you have enough booze so you don't start getting sick because the withdrawals are horrible. Yeah, absolutely. I heard, I heard it characterized once in a meeting that, um, in the beginning my drinking was fun. Right. Then it became fun with problems, and at the end it was nothing but problems. Right, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, Terry, I have to ask, um, and for those um, listening, um, so you don't present as somebody with the background that you do. Um, when most people walk into the office and first start meeting you, you, you already made the statement that they often think you don't look like an alcoholic. Right. Do you want, I mean, I, I imagine with the, the folks that you're case managing, um, because... Some of them do come from the exact same places that we do. You probably catch them off guard by your with your background with um, with addiction. Do you find that that helps win people's confidence over in working with you? Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I always let them know I'm in recovery because I think it's important that they don't think I'm sitting across the desk judging them. Sure. Especially since I'm a, a little, you know, I'm a little over thirty now, so. <laughs> Just, Just by about like thirty years, <laughs> I don't. I don't look like it to stand. That's what counts. <laughs> but yeah, I let them know that I know. You know, I know it can be tough, but it can be done. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have children. They're they're getting back. Mm -hmm. 
Some just got their kids back. Some aren't going to be able to get their kids back. It's just a, a mixed bag that um, we deal with, and you just help them through the whole way as best you can. Give them the support, and and I can just share what what I did or what I learned from others in the meetings. Yeah, you know, I I, I personally believe that that is one of the quickest ways to. Um, to win people over and to gain their trust is to really kind of just put it out there and show the ways that you actually relate to people. And they end up realizing that if you can do it, then they can do it too. Right. Cases, which is amazing. Yeah. And I, I get pretty close to most of my clients. Mm -hmm. um, the ones, the few that I don't get close to, it's because they're just not really ready for any change. So, mm -hmm. and that's going to happen in yeah. this line of work. It's mm -hmm. a fact. Mm -hmm. Does that closeness ever cause a problem? Uh, I don't let it go too far. I always let them know that, you know, I care for them very much, but there are rules that they have to follow, I have to follow. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to follow rules from somebody. Yep. It just seems like, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, and with, with the case management piece, I know um, we often talk about it being very much relationship-based case management, but you do have to have those boundaries in that to make sure the relationship is is protected. Right. What I'm also talking about that for is, does it ever cause a difficulty for you when they you learn beyond your, your thought processes that they're not exactly ready as you thought they were? And they sort of, for lack of a better word, backslide. Does it ever cause you kind of an emotional upset? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think that's for everybody that works here. When we see people um, relapse and go back out, um, for one thing, you know, I they do have to either take the steps to get right back in or they have to leave because we have to protect the other people sure. but um, I always try and let them know we'll be here you know whenever you're ready for help you know I'm always here to talk to and I imagine it's exhilarating you when you do find the ones that have managed to go jump through the hurdles and do things and you enter into recovery mode Right, and a, a good majority of our clients are, are successful. Sure. You know. Do you ever see, run into people that you've originally uh, tried to help and then you run into them and they're, they've been, you know, they've had, uh, you know, maybe a few years of sobriety or whatever, a long time that you can... Uh, oh, yeah. And you see how they're doing. Oh, yeah, because a lot of them go on to work in, <coughs> uh, in the community, like at the ARC or on track sure. or... Family Nurturing Center, and um, I run into them often, and it's awesome. Some and of it's them awesome. Ended up working here. Yeah. Well, you know. Oh yeah, and a lot of them work here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got five clients that work here now, five or six. Well, you know, it's interesting. You we're talking about the alcohol thing, and you're talking about you know the whole sick thing, and I, I don't know what uh, my aunt used to work. She lived in. Rochester, New York, but she worked with a gentleman that you 
have probably heard of it. Foster Brooks. Oh. You know, he played, the, he was on Dean Martin. Uh -huh. He used to play the life right. and everything. Right. Well, she worked with him and she told him the story of how he was and he actually was that part that he played. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he since recovered, but that's the reason he could do that because he could relate to that. And the thing that was really neat is years later, she mentioned me to him because... Well, you know, her nephew and everything. And I was interested in radio and everything. And so he sent me uh, one of his record albums. Oh, that I nice. And I for a souvenir. That's awesome. And uh, don't, I can't play it on anything anymore. But I mean, but the fact that it's, it was here and I have it is just something that's special. You tell me you don't right. have a record player at home? No, I don't. don't yeah. uh, <laughs> I haven't had one in years. Yeah, I grew up kind of watching the rack, rat, rat Pack, rat rat pack, pack yeah. and you know they used to perform and they'd have a drink in their hand and well, a cigarette in the other. Well, that way. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he was that part that he played, mm -hmm. and uh, he managed to get himself together. Of course, he's no longer with us, but still, it's right. Just, yeah, it's special to me. So, Terry, I mean, you've, um, you, uh, you're, what, what, you're coming up on 21 years now? Somewhere? 22. 22, oh my goodness. Uh, January 4th, uh, 22, which blows my mind. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you, I never going to mention, this is podcast number 21, so we're now legal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's really, really hard to believe, because I used to struggle just getting a, a week, mm. you know. And I had so much pressure for so many years from family, friends. My poor mom would worry about me from, she mm -hmm. lived in Southern Cal, but yeah, I'm just, I was just so thankful. I, I didn't have to worry her anymore too when I got sober and my children mm -hmm. where my daughter was 10. Mm -hmm. She was between nine and 10 the year I didn't see them. Mm -hmm. And my son was between seven and eight. How is your relationship with him now? Oh, you know, wonderful. My daughter is 31 and she's got a wonderful husband. Mm -hmm. And we kind of did a role reversal when she was young because she always worried about me. So she still does. She calls me late at night. I'm just calling. I just wanted to make sure you didn't fall in the shower. I'm like, oh my gosh, Melissa, <laughs> you're such the mother. <laughs> but she was my bud from the day she came out, my daughter was, but my son, one thing I do remember was when um, their dad and uh, Deneen, their stepmom, um, who I ended up getting real close to, right. um, brought them to my place after a year of not seeing them. My son had his head tilted to the side and my daughter just jumped right, right at me. She was just right back with me. But my son looked at me and he says, I didn't think you'd forgotten about us. And oh my gosh, my heart just broke, but I just hugged him and mm -hmm. took him a couple of months to warm up. Mm -hmm. But we were goofing around after I had him every weekend. You know, I got him back a little bit at a time and he jumped on my back and then I knew everything was fine. It's you really, know, yeah. yeah, and we're really close. He's over, he's still single, he's 28. And, He's over all the time, 
comes in, Mom, you got any food? (laughs) 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 Typical bachelor 28-year-old son, but he's Uh, a sweetheart. He really is. My my oldest is 21, and she still comes over and eats her food. As soon as she's not eating, she leaves and goes back home. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it's such a nice thing when you can wean yourself away from it and Join the living, so to speak. Right. Absolutely. Because some people never get out of it. Oh, I know. And I, I came close. And I, I have uh, a nephew who's about to have a birthday. At least I think he'll if he if he lives long enough <laughs> on the 18th of this month. And yet, I really fear that he'll never come out of it. Mm-hmm. And he has both alcohol and and meth. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Well, I was 41 when I quit, so don't give up. There oh, really yeah. is no time, Let age. Let me put it this way. Yeah. I won't give up, but I don't want yeah. him to be near me because he ripped me off once, so yeah. you don't yeah. get that chance well, for a while. I have yeah. clients whose parents are still using, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, a lot of them had some pretty trying childhoods. Yeah, and he did. Yeah. So, Terry. Um, yes, I, Matt. <laughs> so, typically... Um, I know we try to keep this to about a half hour yes. in terms of um, length, um, and I just want to thank you for being here to share your story um, because I only get to hear bits and pieces of it, and um, I always found it funny that we absorbed Heather's Haven, and then I got to learn that one at one point you were actually kicked out of there. Which yes, that in another recovery house that I don't even remember where it was, somewhere in Medford. <laughs> so if but but that you use. You usually ask the question. Yes, are you going to steal my thunder against Anne? Yeah, yeah. It was so much fun with Scotty that I think it should be with her also. So if you had someone who just really lost hope and really, you know, has a problem finding their hope, what would you say? How would you direct them to find their hope if you could? Well, I would, uh, if they weren't atheist, tell them to start praying to God and believing he'll help you and get to some meetings and let those people love you till you can love yourself. That's a big one. That's a big one, being able to love yourself. Right. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, one of the things that Stan um, oftentimes points out when we're doing these um, is that as an agency, when people walk into the front door of a retreat, there is a different feeling um, with the agency where there is a sense of family between staff and everybody here. Right. Um, and I love um, your message of um, keep coming back and we'll love you until you learn how to love yourself type thing because I feel like in many cases that's what our, our staff does. That was right. the first thing that I noticed when I came in here on July 11th mm-hmm. is how people were and how once you walk in that door, you're, How can we help you? you know, uh, you're one of us, you know, yeah. other words, and it's so fun. And you guys help each other out. Too. Oh, yeah. We could all get along. I mean, I've never known a group of so many women working together. And I love and care about everyone. I don't have mm-hmm. any problem with any of them. Mm-hmm. And if I did have a little issue, I, I could just tell them. Mm-hmm and air it out and get over it. But that's never even happened. Right. And it's really fun to watch everybody mingling and getting in touch with themselves and, 
watching everything just flow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, one thing I have to say is that I think that um, that camaraderie that you feel here, um, it's infectious. Our, the, the participants that we serve end up feeling that too. And it's just neat because you get to see that kind of impact where people like Desiree, for years later down the road, mm -hmm. um, she still views Rover Treat as her family. Right. And, um, and we still embrace her like she's part of our family. And that, to me, you don't often see in many other agencies. And that's something very unique to just the, the culture that we have here. Right. It is unique. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never seen it in any kind of uh, group that you're involved with, because I'm involved in many things with, you know, disability kinds of issues and form one on another board and and you watch people and it's nothing like this and I love it. I, I'm just hoping that things can work out that I'm able to stay here and do what I'm doing. Well, I keep trying to get ready. <laughs> I know. And then we got so many more employees with the shelter opening. Yeah, You've still to, got a lot to, up to, 42. to, to yeah, interview. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, we aren't above going and doing the second time around. Right, right. We have to, if we do Harold again, we've got to kind of rate it out a little bit. And, you know, yeah. he, he, he was like, okay, no, we, we need to have them shorter. <laughs> That'll be tough for him. And, and the thing is, though, it is like, okay, I don't, I have to edit more, but there's so much. How do you edit? It's hard. Yeah. But it's really, a really fun experience. I, I go joke around, give Harold a bad time, but it's only because he's such a, you know, great influence. And it's so fun to be with everybody here. Right. Yeah. I was at, me and my kids were at Harold and Dana's wedding. Oh, wow. I took Harold's wife when I the first job I got where they both worked, uh -huh. they weren't married yet. They weren't even really serious yet. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I was newly sober and Dana was kind of telling me some things about her issues. And I got her to the, fir her first AA meeting That's amazing. and she stayed, she loved it yeah. and kept going. And then I don't know, a year later or so they were married and That's amazing. I had oh, my wow. first car that I'd had in, because I lost my license for six years to do the two Deweys, so yeah. I'd just gotten my license and a car and yeah. drove up to their wedding with my kids. It <laughs> well, was awesome. That's terrific. I so, love it. So so there's a big piece of my heart for Harold and Dana. Oh, of course. No, you know, Harold is a he's an amazing man. Um, and even Terry, you're an amazing woman. I mean, when we look at the growth of Row Retreat, you just said how many staff we had, which we're up to over forty now. Right. When you came on, it was just that core group of you. Right. That are, are really kind of yourself, Harold, Chad, Heather, uh, the individuals that really kind of built the culture. Cindy. Of, yeah, Cindy. Um, the people that built the culture of what RoboTreat is, and you're still part of that core. Um, and that's absolutely amazing that, um, you know, part of your, your journey through sobriety was getting to leave your imprint um, on the work that we do here. Right. And I love it. I wouldn't want to do anything else but help others mm -hmm. realize that they're worth a they're worth a life without drugs and alcohol. That's for sure. And so are their children. Absolutely. And they they have value. <laughs> that's so right. That's the important thing. And so many people, it takes a long time for people to find value. But once they find it, it's really great. Mm -hmm. But good people do have. I mean. 
you can take most people. There is a redeeming quality, even if you don't know you have it. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Except Stan, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were building up so many points. <laughs> but well, you can tell we we all love it here, and it's so much fun to to be a part of the, this organization. And uh, I, I, each week, I call it. We each week we have another victim. And uh, Terry, I'm so happy you you were this week's victim because. I've seen you around here for a long, you know, since I've been here practically. I right. Think. Mm-hmm. It is so fun to to hear about the other side. The you know, it's fun to hear about the dark side. But we all, I live in the dark side a lot. But that's yes. <laughs> see, see, we always have to make. That's one of the prerequisites. We have to make people laugh during these. That's mm-hmm. that's right, yeah. Because life is too short to take it seriously. Yeah. Boy, isn't that the truth? Absolutely. So, Terry, um, thank you again for being here. And do you have any final words that you want to leave us with? Um, keep coming back. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. And also, let's remind people to listen to the Finding Hope podcast. And we're at episode 21 now. I don't know who next week's victim will be, but we'll certainly find out. But thank you for listening to the Finding Hope podcast. Hit the stop button.